0: time, if you open your Bibles to Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 10, we are continuing our study of the commands of Christ, learning what does it mean to be a disciple and to disciple others. And so we have learned as we're looking at all the commands of Christ, that a follower of Christ is to, uh, well, surrender first, sacrifice, and listen. This is the giving in phase for a disciple. And before we can ever give up or give out as a disciple, we must give in in surrendering, sacrificing, and listening to Jesus. And then... As we've continued into the study, we've seen about the uh, giving in, where abiding is absolutely critical. Dwelling in the sphere of who Jesus is, his spirit, being a light, if you will, and, and letting the light of Christ shine in us. And, and so, as we learned last week, so that we can show the light to others. And now we're getting to the give out phase. And often, when we look at these commands today, love, serving, sharing, and the weeks ahead, often we think, okay, to be a disciple, you must do these things. And it's usually the first things that come to our mind. We're going to stop sinning. We're going to start loving. We're going to start sharing, start serving. And we may think, well, that's it. That's the main part. The problem is, is that we're going to find that we're not going to be able to love and serve and share as Christ has asked us to do it unless we surrender, sacrifice, listen, abide in His presence, this light of Christ shining in us. Absolutely imperative uh, in the life of a Christian to have these first before we start loving and that's going to be uh, very obvious as we look in the study in Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I've never preached on this. And I've looked forward to that because it's just a powerful story. Uh, but it's very convicting as I've studied this and realized I fall woefully short in what Jesus is bringing out here. And we're going to see how that is the case for most of us. Uh, and it must be before we can really understand what it is to love. Uh, and so, the parable of the Good Samar- good Samaritan. And, and so, uh, as we go into this, I think perhaps maybe it, let me ask this question. Um, how many of you, and it's okay, you, you don't have to brag or anything, but how many of you would consider yourself loving? Raise your hand if you would consider yourself loving. Just raise your hand, I, I know it's Okay. Because most of us would. In fact, surveys, you can put your name down, surveys given out, the Gallup polls and other things, would, would, in polling people, 90% of people would describe themselves as loving. And that was probably about what we had here. 90% of us describe ourselves as loving. Because who wants to say they're unloving? I mean, yes, mark me down. I saw a few of you here (laughs) said, yeah, okay, mark me down as unloving. Uh, and, And if you ask any church, are you a loving church? And most people would say, yeah, because you don't want to be a part of an unloving church. But let me ask you this question. How many of you know somebody who is unloving? Raise your hand. Isn't that amazing? We all know the same 10%. <laughs> How does that happen? We're going to see a little gap, aren't we, between how we view ourselves versus how you view others. How many of you know someone here unloving? <laughs> I'm not going to get. You see, the reality is is that we are loving to the people that we like. That's why a church will always say we're loving, and they're loving to the people they know. But if you come in as someone who uh, they do not know. Then the real test is given: Are they loving to people they do not love? No, and, uh, and that's often where you will say, "You know, I've come across some churches that were unloving, and it's because you came in as an outsider and uh, they didn't seem very loving to you." But if you asked anyone in the church, they say, "Oh, we're a loving church. I feel love all the time." And so Jesus is kind of hitting on this perspective of how we often view ourselves versus how we really are in God's standard of what it means to be loving. In fact, in John 13, verse 34, that that is the memory verse for our our study this week. And and when you get to that study on, on the disciple being loving, the verse that you'll be memorizing is John 13, 34, where Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. By this, men shall know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And so Jesus said, this is the quality for, uh, well, a benchmark for a disciple. If you want to know if someone is a follower of Christ, the simple evidence that Jesus has given is that they are loving. Loving. So that's the leaf. How do you know when the tree is alive? How do you know when fruit is giving? Well, fruit of the Spirit is love. First one, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These, these things come, and this is how you know that fruit is coming. This is how you know that the, the, the branch is in the vine, that this fruit comes out called love. It's, it's fruit in your life. And so we want to be loving But I've already hinted at you that before we can be really loving as Christ has identified it, we must sacrifice, we must surrender. Now, when you hear me say that, there's quite a few of us who will say, well, you know what, I know quite a few loving people who are not followers of Christ. Now, is that true? Raise your hand if you think that's true. You know quite a few uh, loving people who are not followers of Jesus Christ. Raise your hand if you think that's true. Yeah. So is... Am I just lying to you, or am I just in preacher world somewhere where only things that preachers say are true and it's not really true in real life? Well, Jesus is going to redefine loving for us. Uh, And so we're going to look at that in the story of the Good Samaritan. and, And it helps us before we get into verse 30 where the story comes out to know the context. Why is Jesus telling this story? And that's where 25 through 29 comes into play for us to understand why is he telling this story. And so, uh, in honor of this being God's word, I'm going to ask that we stand as we read this together. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit internal life? So that's the question. How can I be right with God? And he said to them, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, well, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your might, and your neighbor as yourself. This is summarizing the law. And Jesus said, Well, you said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. This is very important, this next phrase. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. I will repay you when I come back. Which of these, these, these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You may be seated. I want to remind you the motivation of this lawyer. One is to trap Jesus. Okay, he's trying to get him to say something that is contrary to the law, so that he can be in trouble and ensnared. And so that's why he asked this question. Perhaps maybe he's heard Jesus say things, just believe in me, listen to me. And he knows, well, what about the law? And so he's asking, what do I do to have eternal life? And so he, his motivation is to try to ensnare Jesus. But then we see an even deeper motivation revealed to us about this man in the text. And that's found in verse 29. He wants to justify himself. In other words, he wants to see that his Insurance of being right with God is based on his performance, his work, his pride. That's the motivation here. And Jesus is going to tell a story that absolutely destroys him. I had a, my son was asking me a question about fireworks and I was explaining to him the danger of fireworks and not holding fireworks and them and things like that. And, um, and I said, things, bad things could happen here. You could, he said, I could die? I said, perhaps you could die. And he said, I'd like to see what would happen. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? I'd like to see what would happen if I die. Well, what do you mean? Well, I'd like to see... If I would be with Jesus, or if I would be away from God in hell, I'm kind of wondering what would happen. (laughs) And that's a chilling statement, isn't it? He has a curiosity. Am I right with God? Am I going to be with Jesus? And I'll share with them, you know, well, Jesus has come, not just so that you can be within heaven. Jesus has come so that you can have him. I think sometimes we're, we get a little sidetracked. We want heaven, but we don't want Jesus. So let's help them understand. It's not just about what happens when you die. It's about getting Jesus in your life now, as well as when you die. But I thought, you know, that's the question so many of us ask and wonder. I wonder what's going to happen. This man is asking that question. What's going to happen if I die? I want to be right with God, and I want to know, am I doing enough? Evan's wondering if I love Jesus enough. He says, well, I believe in Jesus. It's kind of tough having a six-year-old say these things to you, isn't it? He says, "I, I believe in Jesus. And so... That's where a lot of us are. What's enough? Jesus shares a story that would have chilled this man. Absolutely unraveled him. Because there's, well, there's three lessons here about love. Because he says it's going to be about love. And this man says, well, it's about loving God, right? It's about loving your neighbor, right? And Jesus said, yes, you're absolutely right. It is about loving God. It is about loving neighbor. But let me redefine what that looks like because when we hear that, we, we find some comfort and says, Well, I can love God. I can love others. But how much love is enough? How much love is enough? And notice what, G- what this man says. Uh, he is quoting scripture, he's gro- quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, one of the, the principal parts of Judaism even today. And he says, You shall love the Lord your God with some of your heart, all of your heart, with all your soul, with the best part of your, all of your strength, and with half of your mind. (laughs) Someone's like, Well, that's all I have, half my mind to give. He says, all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. All all these words all apply not just to God but to your neighbor. Therein is the rub. That's the problem. He is saying perfection. Perfect love. Perfect strength. Perfect soul. Perfect mind. All of it. But this lawyer has understood it other than that, because no one does that. And so he says, well, you've done correctly. And so then he kind of gets this question where it allows Jesus to say, oh, yeah, let me, uh, let me uh, bring this out to you. Because he's wanting to justify himself. He's saying, I've done that. I can do that. I, I'm going to be right with God, right? And so he says, well, and who is my neighbor seeking to justify himself? And then he tells this bone-chilling story. To the lawyer he presents an example of love that absolutely unravels any self-effort that he has you see what Jesus is saying is one of the first lessons he's trying to teach and it's all throughout scripture and in the gospels is that we cannot lesson number one we cannot fully love till we know we cannot love We cannot fully love, what I mean by fully love, we cannot love with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, till we know that we cannot fully love. What is he saying? See, this man is trying to justify himself, and Jesus is trying to get him to understand, it's not going to be happening by yourself. You don't have the strength and the reserves and the capacity to love people and the standard that Jesus is bringing out. That God is bringing out, and he's reminding him, full heart, all your heart, all mind, all strength, all of your soul perfection. We can love in part, but we cannot love in whole. Have you found that out? When you do, then you're in the first step of fully loving. You see, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are bankrupt in spirit and realize they have nothing to make themselves right with God. Now, how do you get right with God? According to Deuteronomy, it's to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. But now you're bankrupt. I don't have the resources to do that, God. Jesus says, when you get to that point, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Heaven blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted, mourning what i don 't think Jesus is talking about just mourning anything, but mourning the state they're in their bankrupt nature. then they will be comforted, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for then they will be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart who want to see god and and so he is just highlighting and bringing out. The, the pathway of the disciple, to be a disciple, remember the first thing? Surrender, sacrifice, to understand that we don't have the resources in ourselves, and so we surrender it to God. It is the surrendered love that can now first understand what it is to love with all of our heart. And so we cannot fully love till we know we cannot love, and it is only then that something else happens. Lesson number two, we cannot fully love till we know a love, we cannot repay. We cannot fully love till we know a love, we cannot repay. You see, notice what the passage says here in verse 27. What is the standard for loving our neighbor? Yourself. Love your. Neighbor as yourself. Now, first of all, is it right for us to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Yes. Because how is it that you have a heart? How do you have a mind? How do you have a strength? How did that happen? Well, two options. Either it was an accident, everything just factored in just right, given enough time, boom, you exist. You have arisen out of the swamps of life. Accident. All right? If that is the case, you don't have to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength because God is fiction. The other option is God. You have a heart because God said you'd have a heart. You have a mind. You have a street because God allowed it. So is it right to love God with all that you are? Yes, because it was all given to you by God. So it's totally right. And then it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the standard is yourself, which means that I'm going to love someone. I'm going to treat them fair because it is fair to regard them with equal measurement and concern as I would give myself. All right. Now, that's what's given to us in the old testament that's what jesus is bringing out but in john 13 verse 34 and 35 he is with the disciples at the end and he gives them something else he says, a new commandment i give to you now what's new about that you love one another that's not new that's the same as deuteronomy but then he says as i have loved you you see jesus flips this total standard in Deuteronomy, the source is yourself. The, 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 the level of fairness is how you want to be considered, how you want to be treated. In John chapter 13, Jesus says, I give you a whole new basis, a whole new fountain. It flows from how Jesus has loved you. How Jesus has loved you. And what you're going to realize as you see your own impossibility of getting right with God, that your own failings of loving someone, that when Jesus comes in and Romans 5, 8 says that God gave his love towards you, that while you were a failure, he sent his son to die for you. He gave his love to you in this way. It is to know a love that you cannot repay. It is how God humbles prideful people. Have you ever been around a prideful person to give them something? You give them a gift that you know they couldn't repay? It destroys them. It absolutely frustrates them. That's what God does. He gives us a gift we could not repay. And until you know a love that you cannot repay, you will not be ever able to fully love. Now, let's define love quickly, okay? Love is to sacrifice for the needs of someone else joyfully. To joyfully sacrifice for the needs of someone else. Okay? You see their needs, you sacrifice something you may want, you may need yourself, but you do it joyfully for their benefit. It's not emotional sentimentality. Alright? It's not a feeling. It is a commitment. Demanding yourself. When the, when the Bible says lay down your life and take up your cross, often it looks like love. How do you take up your cross? By loving. Loving someone, loving God. Okay, so we uh, we had a little discussion with our family this past week, and we were just talking about purposes of life. To say, you need to know what the purpose of life is. When I read this passage, Jesus is kind of getting it down for us. What is the purpose of life? Well, according to Jesus, when asked, what is the most important thing? He says, love God. Well, all that you are. and love other people. You can. You should be able to tie every action Every instruction you give your family with those two points. Does my command to this child connect with loving God and loving people? And We were just talking about chores and and things that we do in our life and say, look, we need to be able to make this connection in our life and you need to be able to make this connection. Does what you do connect with loving God and loving people and as a disciple making disciples? Jesus is putting it to us right here. And, and it flows out of abiding in a love that you cannot repay. It goes back to that branch tied into the vine. In fact, in John chapter 15, he says simply that you are to abide, not just in Christ, but abide in my love. Abide in my love. I cannot adequately give of myself until I have seen And experience a love given to me that I cannot repay. Love is the one thing that we can't live without. But we have an awful time living with. Think about it. We all want to be loved. But it frustrates us to love someone. Because they're taking. And they're taking And they take of our time, they take of our resources, they take of our reputation. They take our life. We can feel it just draining from us. But yet we all want to be loved. And no human being can love us like we want. It's not until you know a love that cannot be repaid. But it's not found in this earth. We were made for something else. We were made for God because out of God comes a love we cannot repay. When you understand that you are held right before God, before the only eyes that matter, then you can deal with eyes that find fault with you. When you give of your resource and you think, I don't know if I'm going to have enough because I'm sharing with this person, but to understand there is a God who provides for you, who cares and knows your need and has called you to this love, to understand your assurance that comes from That love. You see, we're going to see how Jesus takes this passage. And and when he quotes in verse 27, he talks about your neighbor as yourself. It's going back to Leviticus chapter 19. And Leviticus 19, this was the law. And and the lawyer knew this very well. That he says, okay, yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. But there's this one little phrase in there about treating the sojourner well. Loving your sojourner, and what Jesus is helping this lawyer understand is that here in Israel, where all things are Jews, and all things that are good are Jews, he says you need to understand that loving your neighbor is not just loving your Jew, but look back in Leviticus 19, is loving the stranger around you, the sojourner, the immigrant, loving them well. And this is where the lawyer Getting the story shook up. I'm going to tell you I've been challenged in the last year about my view of immigrants. You see, here's how I've been thinking and viewing immigrants. As an offended citizen, you offend me in breaking the rules and getting here. Now, I want a country to be secure. I don't think amnesty is the right course, but I'm just going to share with you, there was hostility and emotions in me that when challenged, where do you find that in the Bible? I had a hard time finding it in the Bible. But when I read a story like this, I understand I'm a lot more like the lawyer here love the people that look like me, act like me. But when I read the scripture, it says, love the stranger as your neighbor. And as a disciple, I am to be known for that type of love. I'm just going to challenge this for a second, because I have been challenged. You can argue with me if you like. I don't, I'm not going to put an argument. I'm just going to say this is what God's been putting in my heart and life. The illegal immigrant needs to know the love of a believer. If you're a believer, when we read the Good Samaritan story, nothing else, that's the least it brings out. Loving your neighbor is anyone around you, whether they act like you or not. You know know what the, the Jews and Samaritans, they hated one another absolutely despise one another. Uh, Jews would, would make a point to uh, go around where the Samaritans live, uh, and, and would go way out of their way up to the Sea of Galilee to go up north just to stay out of the range. It's been known that uh, a common Jew back in that day might have prayed something like this. Lord, give me a good day. Give me this day my daily bread. Keep me safe today. Lord, I pray that there will be no Samaritans in the resurrection on the last day. I just want to bring to your attention that the level of hostility is a lot greater in the times that Jesus is talking about in this story than what you and I may know. We cannot fully love till we know a love we cannot repay. And then as we read this story, we're going to see this example. Remember, he's, he's attacking the self-justifying lawyer, and that's why he's saying, look, you cannot repay this love. You've got to understand, this is not in your resources. This is in God's resources. This Christ-supplied love, not self-supplied love. And that brings us out to this third important lesson. We cannot fully love until we love someone who cannot repay. We cannot fully love until we love someone that cannot, be, cannot repay. We cannot fully love till we know we cannot love. We cannot fully love till we know a love, till we know a love we cannot repay. And so the outward of it, the give up is it, is that we can fully love when we love one who cannot repay. We can fully love when we love one who cannot repay. So he gives this story of the Samaritan running across this Jew. This road from Jerusalem Jericho, there's a picture here. I want you to, to kind of get a glimpse of, of, of what this scene looks like so that you can understand. This was uh, taken up from the Jerusalem area. Looking down, you can see the, that pathway going down in Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem is about 3,000 feet up above sea level. Jericho is down close to sea level, if, uh, g- nearing the Dead Sea, which is way below sea level. Uh, and so it is a very steep terrain. Uh, if you could imagine going up the mountains from Wilkesboro to Boone, except, as you can see, no trees. Uh, very barren and, and arid area. A lot of rocks, a lot of things uh, for, for folks to hide behind. It was a, a dangerous road, not just in the terrain, but those who would uh, hang out in this area, Uh, to ambush folks and so have a picture here what everyone else was thinking of when he talks about this road to Jericho uh, from Jerusalem and so he's going down he's headed down this path uh, where he fell among robbers and these robbers proceeded to strip this one beat him and left him half dead there down the side you can imagine this is just being tumbled down the embankment uh, and there left alone and so then you, Jesus talks about these individuals that come by a priest who was an upstanding religious leader of the day, as well as a Levite, both of them coming down, they see, and they go on passing by. For there's many reasons why, not least of which is all these folks are going somewhere. That means there's some timeline, right? We don't usually go somewhere unless we're under some timeline. There is danger, in this spot. If you can imagine, you don't want to hang out here longer than you have to be because it's a known uh, place for thieves. And here you have evidence, oh, there are thieves here. Maybe if I help this person, then I will be the next victim. And so there's a lot of good practical reasons why to pass by this one. But then Jesus puts in the story that the Samaritan is the one who stops. This is the, the, the outsider. This is the one who who stops, has compassion. And the compassion is a motivation that drives you to act. It's one thing to say you love people, but it's ultimately said and revealed by what you do. Jesus said in Matthew 25, in separating those who are sheep versus those who are goats, all of them claimed Jesus. All of them claimed profession. All of them said, Jesus, you are our Lord. But then he said, The the sheep were the ones who actually acted out in compassion to folks who could not repay. Is Jesus teaching work salvation? You have to do this to be saved. No. He's simply bringing out salvation is made evident by our acts. The living tree is the one with the fruit. The one who has the life of God, the love of God in them, is the one who is loving people who cannot repay. It's going to work itself out. It's not just our profession. It's how God is working in our life. And that's why we must go back to the surrender part. And so notice what the Samaritan does. He bounds him up his wounds, pours on oil and wine, sets him on his own animal, which means he's doing what? He's walking that that path. While this one is now on his animal. And then puts him in an inn, takes care of him, and then the next day takes out two denarii. Now what uh, researchers, uh, scholars would say is that denarii is about a month's salary. Takes two. Two months' salary. And says, take care of him. So, what's happened here? This man, this Samaritan, has allowed his schedule to be destroyed. His his schedule is absolutely ruined. His finances have taken a hit. Physically, he's endangered himself. Remember, love is to sacrifice for the needs of someone else and to do so joyfully. Is this man loving? Yes. I mean, think about it. you got someone else... In today's standard, you got them up staying for two months, it's going to cost a pretty penny, isn't it? No matter what motel or anything. That's what this man does. And then he asks the question, to absolutely ruin the lawyer, which one is the neighbor? Well, much as he hates to admit it, it's the Samaritan. Today's standard, if I would say, it's the legal immigrant did this. And we say, well, which one is the neighbor? You understand the point? Where this lawyer's getting absolutely unraveled. We cannot love, fully love. Or we can fully love when we love one who cannot repay. You see, Jesus said it this way. Tax collectors, which was the evil person of the day, they even know how to love those who love them. The mafia knows how to love their own, right? <laughs> yeah. are one of the family, you know, in a circle. So, how are we different? That's the point Jesus is bringing out. We've got to be different from the mafia. And then John 13 comes in and says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, as Jesus has loved us. We cannot repay him. By this, all men shall know that you are my disciples. We are characterized, the followers of Christ are characterized by loving people who cannot repay, loving the oppressed. It's interesting that in the Roman era, when the church is spreading out, that those who are in opposition are trying to say, how can we stop this from movement, this from spreading out, and and the letters then of that day and time reveal, well, you know what the problem is, is that these Christians, these folks who claim this name followers of the way, keep taking care of the children. They keep taking care of the ones who are suffering the plagues, and they are the ones living with the the sick, plague-infested folks. When they have a love like this, we can't stop it. How do you deal in a society that is growing increasingly anti-Christ in America? How is that won over? Listen, the apologetic for the church today is love. Loving people who cannot repay. We can be well-versed in truth, and why we believe what we believe, but until they see that we really believe it, and that it changes us, then they don't really care. When we talk about creating discipleship communities among our neighborhoods, it will demand more giving of yourself than you have ever experienced. One of the things that Chuck Campbell said when he was here. He says, do I have really time to cut someone else's grass? No, I don't. But I do have time to make disciples. And I thought that was a pretty powerful point because it hit me right where I am. Because I don't have time to cut my own grass sometimes. Cut someone that helps someone else. I'm like, how can I do that? And the point of it is, is that's the life that he's called us to. When God is impressed in us, certain specific actions of sacrifice and love Listen, rest assured, that did not originate with your own brain. You're way too selfish for thoughts like that. When we have thoughts like that, it is the Holy Spirit working in us. And you ask ask the next question, well, God, how can I do that? I, I don't have the resources to do this. How does it happen? Then it goes back to surrender, sacrifice, listen, abide, And Jesus Christ, feed on his spirit, his love, and it goes all the way back to that. That's why the song says, tell me that sweet, sweet story again. The story of Jesus and his love. I long to hear the story of that. It is something we feed on and we never leave. And so when we have that sense of resistance in our life of love, then it takes us back to our need for surrender and sacrifice. I remember when I was working at camp as a camp counselor, and this, this lesson hit me so vividly. It was it was campfire night when we're supposed to hang out with the significant others. I didn't really want to hang out with guys. I wanted to sit with girls. But I was a counselor. And there was one little boy. He had some autism. And he was one I was kind of paying attention to all throughout the week. Had a lot of extra things I had to do. Changed his bed sheets every night, things like that. But then he said, I want to sit with you campfire night. My first thought was, I don't want to sit with you. <laughs> you smell funny. I don't, I, know. That's, I didn't say that aloud. But I said that in my heart and mind. You probably would too. <laughs> but then, as I was thinking through that, uh, this scripture of Matthew 25 came to my mind. What have you done to the least of these you've done to me? And I realized it wasn't about me. This is an opportunity to love Jesus. And it can be best shown when you love people that cannot repay you. Until you love a Judas, you don't love like Christ. Until you can love a Peter, we can't love like Christ. You see how hard this is? It's impossible. And that's why, until we figure out that we cannot love fully, it's only until then, then we can fully love. When we say, Christ, I need you. That's why God gives us kids, you know? To teach us how to love if you don't have kids find some people that can never repay you and may never even be aware of your love for them it won't be hard let's pray